Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. People, y'all ready for the word today? Yeah. All right, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Whether you turn there, whether you scroll there, however you get there, we're going to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, then it's going to come up on the screen for you in just a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 reads like this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's it. That's our scripture for today. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And I got a, I got a word for some people today Great gains. How many are ready for great gains? This is, this is a message for, this is a message specifically for the men of this house. Not that women will get nothing out of it, but this is a, a message for the men specifically. Because we got a men's conference coming up this week. And so I've been thinking and praying and fasting about what God has for us, and I believe that he has great gains for us. And everyone's going to get something out of it. Because it's kind of like, it's kind of like, so every now and again, we get to go back to Australia and we get to go and visit my parents and, and our extended family. And, and every time that I go back, my mom asks me the same question. She says, what can I make for you on your first night back home? What is your favorite meal that I can make for you? And so I tell her and she makes the food with me in mind, but everybody else gets to enjoy it. Everybody else enjoys it. Everybody else gets something out of it, but she makes it with me in mind. And so I got a word today for, for the guys, for the fellas of this church, because God has great gains in store for us. And I remember several years ago when I started seeing this social media trend about hashtag gains. And I remember thinking like, what is this hashtag gains? I don't know what everyone's talking about. Meredith was talking about hashtag FOMO last week and she had to Google what that meant. I had to Google what hashtag gains meant. And I didn't know what it meant. And if you don't know what hashtag gains means, gains is about you going to the gym and getting bigger and bigger. You lift it. Did Tuan, did you just say, come on? You're somebody that posts that, aren't you? <laughs> hashtag gains is about when you go to the gym, when you work out, when you get bigger and bigger. And it's not even just limited to that. It's also when you're, when you're gaining financial wealth, hashtag gains. It's also about when you are gaining status, when you're gaining advancement in your career, when you're improving the position, when you're moving home to home. It's about gains in all areas of life. Like, I got to get some gains in my life. And so I know that all of us like to get gains, but I know the fellas incredibly like to get great gains. Great gains. And so I know that some of us pursue gains in life, but what I want to talk about today is great gains. Somebody say great gains great gains. Great gains comes from living a godly life. Great gains comes from living a pious life, a righteous life. When you are so overwhelmed at God, when you are living in a place of respect of God, that it changes the way that you act. When it changes the way that you talk to people. When you are pursuing a godly life, it influences everything. It influences the way that you lead. It influences the type of people that you speak to. It influences the type of people that you are in relationship with. When you are pursuing a godly life, it influences all areas of your life. It influences how you parent. 
It influences the things that you look at on the internet. It influences the way that you are an employee. It influences the way that you are an employer. It influences everything when you live a godly life. And, and what I'm looking for today is for some men that are willing to say, I'm willing to live a godly life. I'm willing to pursue a God in a way that I didn't know possible when I first received salvation. I'm looking for a group of men that are willing to fight. For a group of men that are willing, not just fight because fighting is easy. I'm looking for a group of men that are willing to say, I'm willing to fight a good fight. I'm willing to fight a fight for my family. I'm looking, to, I'm looking for some men that are willing to fight for their neighborhoods. I'm looking for some men that are willing to fight for our communities, to fight for our marriages, to fight for our schools, to fight for our church. I'm looking for some men that are willing to fight, to fight a, to fight a good fight. I'm looking for some people that are willing to stand in the face of adversity, that are willing to push back against the enemy and say, uh-uh. You have come far enough. You have taken enough of our children from the streets. You have taken too many of our people to drug violence and addictions and issues in our community. I'm, I'm looking for some men that can stand in the face of a storm and, not push, and push back and not take any steps further back. I'm looking for some men that have some adversity. I'm looking for some... These are, these are, these are men that are godly men. These are some resilient men. These are, some, these are some men that pursue the things of God more than their own desires, that pursue the things that God wants more than the things that, that they want. And, and I can hear some of you, because when I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about how this wasn't demonstrated to all people, that not everybody had a godly father figure in their life. Not everybody had a, a godly father in their life. Not everybody had men around them that showed them what it meant to be men. And so, so I'm, I'm not coming after you like throwing stones and all of that, but, but I just think that it's time that some of us put aside the childish ways that we grew up with and started to walk in maturity for the things that God has called us into. For some people that are willing to say, I'm not just going to fast and pray when the church tells me to fast and pray. And I'm not just going to worship on Sunday mornings when there's a corporate gathering. And I'm not just going to do the things that the church tells me to do. I'm not just going to worship when Najee and Jasmine get up here and worshiping with us. I'm willing to lead myself. I have enough faith for myself that I'm no longer reliant on my parents' faith anymore. I'm no longer reliant on the faith of those that are around me anymore because I have my own faith. I'm putting aside the childish ways that I came up in and I'm willing to stand in maturity and if you, if you walked in today and, and you're a little bit unsure about who we are and what we believe and what we do and why we do it and all those kind of things, I'm going to tell you right now who we are. We, we are a people, we are a people who are called by his name, who have humbled ourselves, and we pray with fervor that God would heal our land. We are a warring people. We push back against the enemy. We are a people that praise loudly, unapologetically, because we know what God has done for us, because we know what God has called us out of. We are a people who are quick to worship because I am so close to God that I am constantly reminded about how good He is. 
because I am constantly in awe about how good he is. We're that type of people. We're a people that worship quickly. We're a people that fight against injustice. We're a people that will not quit until every mountain of injustice comes down in our region. We will fight every form of violence. We will fight. We're going to fight until, until every human trafficker is gone from this community. We're going to fight until racism is gone from this community. We're going to fight until every form of injustice is gone from this community. We're that type of people. We're a people that are fighting against injustice. We're a people that, we're a people that you want in our corner. You, you, want, you want us in your corner. Because, because I'm going to stand with you in the middle of your storm. I'm going to walk with you in your journey. And even if you don't have enough faith for yourself, you can borrow some of my faith until you get enough faith of your own. You want us in your corner. We're a people who are godly. We, are, we have godliness as our pursuit. But, but what I cannot promise you, what I will not promise you today is that if godliness is your pursuit, that everything is going to go well. I cannot promise you that because that's not true. Just because you showed up to church today, just because you pray, just because you give, that does not mean that everything is going to go well for you. I'm not going to preach that message because we don't believe that here. That is prosperity doctrine. That is prosperity theology. And we don't believe that to be true here at Cornerstone Church. Now, now we are a blessed people, but the issue with prosperity doctrine is that it says that if you are wealthy, then it's because you have lived godly. And it says, if you are poor, it's because you have done the wrong thing. You've made the wrong choices. But how many know that there are some people that are wealthy that are ungodly, and there are some people that are poor that are godly, right? And so I don't, I don't accept that to be a true form of theology. And I know that I'm blessed. I'm not saying that we're not blessed as a people. I'm, we are blessed as a people. How many know that we are blessed? Come on, say, I am blessed. I am blessed. We are a blessed community. But we are blessed not because of the things that we have done. We are blessed not because of the things that we have. We are blessed because of the God that provides. We are, we are blessed because of the giver, not because of the gifts. And while I am thankful for the gift that I have, I, I don't worship the gift that I have. I worship the giver of the gift. He's the giver, and we have received the gift. So I'm blessed because of the giver. I'm blessed and I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm content with the things that God has given me. And so we have this uh, holiday here in the United States, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love it because we don't have it in Australia. I didn't grow up with Thanksgiving because we have a different history. It's not that we're not thankful people, but I love that we, uh, in, in the United States, that we pause for a day to be thankful. It's such a special time just to pause with people that you love and to get around your community and just to thank God for what he has done in your life. It's my, it's my favorite holiday that we have here in the States. I love it. And every, every Thanksgiving, there's this conversation that comes up, there's this debate that comes up about how soon is too soon to start playing Christmas music. And, and there are some people that believe the right thing and there are some people that believe the wrong thing. And if you play Christmas music before Thanksgiving, you believe the wrong thing. Don't you dare try and take my Thanksgiving holiday away by starting your Christmas music before Thanksgiving. That's not the right way to live. 
you sinful soul. Thanksgiving takes place before Christmas. And all these people have it backwards. So the way that we do it in the Ryburn household, we celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then the next day, once we've cleaned up all the dishes and rested and all that kind of stuff, that's when we set up the Christmas tree. And I tell Meredith every single year, you cannot play any Christmas music, you cannot watch any Christmas movies until the day after Thanksgiving. This is the appropriate right way to live. And some of y'all just need to remember that today. In like two months, you better make sure that you make the right choice. No, I actually don't care when Christmas starts because I, I think that Christmas is a beautiful tradition and season as well. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is not when Christmas starts encroaching on Thanksgiving. What bothers me is when Black Friday starts encroaching on Thanksgiving. Because already it's incredibly ironic that we have a day that we set aside to be filled with gratitude, a day where we pause to remind ourselves about how good God has been in our life, and then the very next day, we start buying all kinds of things that we don't want, we don't need, just trying to impress people that we don't even like. And it's, it's ironic to me that these days are back to back, but the issue is that Black Friday is no longer just a day. Black Friday used to just be a 24-hour period, and then Black Friday deals started coming on to Thursday night as well. And I started seeing all of these early Black Friday deals and savings that would take place on Thursday evening. I'm like, that Thursday evening has a name. That's Thanksgiving. Don't be taking Thanksgiving from me. And even now in the e-commerce age, we know that Black Friday is not even just a day. Now you have like Black Friday week sales, right, that take place. You can't open anything without seeing. It's an entire week of savings for Black Friday. And at some stage during that week, maybe we can celebrate Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving is this beautiful time of being content about the things that God has done in our life. It's this beautiful moment to pause and to remind ourselves about what God has done, to be satisfied with the things that God has done in our life. And this is why Paul says in our scripture in 1 Timothy, Timothy 6, he says, godliness with contentment leads to great gain. It's not the godliness that leads to great gain. It's not the contentment that leads to great gain. It is the godliness and the contentment that leads to great gain. And I love this is because it reminds us that it's not about the doing and it's not about the resting. It's about the rhythm that exists between the two of those things. You cannot achieve your salvation, but once you are saved, you better start working to ensure that our community gets better and better and that our community starts to look more and more like heaven. And so we work and we rest. We pursue godliness with contentment. And we're so used to the fact that we have to work to achieve great gains. We're so used to the fact that you have to go to the gym in order to increase your muscle mass. We're so used to the fact that I have to go and lift heavy things to be able to grow my muscles, that I have to be able to work hard to achieve great gains that are in my life. But it's not just the working, it is also the resting. When you are able to exist in a place of contentment, what you're communicating to God is that you trust him. Your ability to rest is a demonstration that you trust God. 
that you trust God to provide for you, that you trust God that he will be enough for you, that he will protect you, that he will guard you. When you rest in God, you're communicating and demonstrating to him and everybody else that you trust him. And, uh, and it's about consistency as well, right? So, so what we know about working out is that you cannot just work out once and then think that you're gonna start looking like Tawan. That ain't gonna happen. It takes a long time to work out like that and to start looking like that, right? And it's, so it takes consistency. It's gonna take time. You can start working out tomorrow and you're not gonna see any change within yourself. And then the next day, you're probably still not gonna see any change within yourself. But if you're consistent in your working out, if you're working out four or five days a week, you're gonna start seeing that your body starts to look more and more healthy. And I don't know if it's gonna be in three months or four months, but at some stage, you're gonna start looking more and more like your muscles are starting to grow, but it takes consistency. And I, I remember speaking with Ken, just, I shouldn't have said Ken. I remember speaking with somebody just a few days ago and. <laughs> And they were, they were telling me, this person, could be a male or female, was telling me that, it, that they were on campus and, uh, and so somebody grabbed a hold of them and they said, hey, I just need you to help me with some experiment. I just need you to do a quick workout or just do a, a quick stretching routine. And they said that it had been about a decade since the last time that they worked out. And so they did this quick routine and then later that night they were in agony like could not move without pain. They were walking stiff-legged, could not stand up or sit down without, without pain and groaning and telling everybody about it because it had been a decade since the last time they worked out because it takes consistency in your working out. It takes consistency in the doing to be able to achieve the results. And before, before I studied theology and, and, and divinity and all those kind of things, I, uh, I studied health science, and I was planning on being a physical therapist. This was before God got a hold of me and wrecked my world and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so I was, I was planning on being a physical therapist and working with elite athletes at helping these people become more and more elite. I wanted to work with Olympians and professional athletes at helping them throw further and hit harder and tackle better. And, and I wanted to look at the physique and the biometrics and biomechanics and the physiology and all these kinds. Of, that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to work with these people and figure out how to make them better physically at what they were doing. And, and I've forgotten a lot of things from my degree back then. I didn't actually ever use my degree, much to my parents' chagrin. They were so upset when I told them, that's great, I got that degree, but I don't wanna use it anymore. But there was a couple things that I remember specifically about how we are able to grow muscle mass. And, and I don't wanna bore you with this, but essentially the way that you're able to move your arm, the way that you're able to contract your muscles Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, is that, is that you have microscopic little things that connect your muscles together. And when you engage your muscles, what happens is that you are connecting these things together. And when you start working out, these myofibrils start to tear. They start to rip. And it is in the ripping of these things that your muscle mass starts to grow. What that tells us is that you cannot grow without some damage. You cannot grow without some ripping. You cannot grow without some tearing. 
And some of y'all think that I'm still talking about muscles right now, but how many know that you cannot get to the next level without overcoming some battles today? That you cannot take on Goliath without fighting some battles today. David knew that he couldn't take on Goliath without taking on the lion and the bear, right? And so I remember Bishop Jake saying this years ago. He said, there are some tables in life that you have to earn your way to. You have to be able to show that you have some scars that got you there. You have to be able to show that you have some battle wounds that got you there, or else you don't deserve the right to be at this table right now. You have to earn, if you wanna be a bigger person, if you want your spirit self to get bigger, it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you a little bit of damage to get you to where God wants you to be. The other thing about working out that I remember that causes muscle growth is that it's not in the working out that muscle growth takes place. Many of us think that if I go to the gym and if I start lifting heavy things, if I start working out and I'm on the bench press and I'm doing all kinds of different things, many people think that it is in the working out that my body begins to grow. But that's not true. That's not what happens. It is necessary for those myofibrils to start ripping. But when my body starts to grow is in the recovery. Hear me out on this. It is in the working that the ripping takes place. It is in the recovery that the growth takes place. And I just wanna tell somebody right here in this moment that you think that it is in your ability to control a situation, you think that it is in your ability to hold on to something, you think it is in your ability to go after a person and to keep pursuing a person that you're going to see change come to that situation. God told me this, your breakthrough often comes in your seasons of rest. It is your ability to recover that you will see growth take place in your life. And too many of us try and control a situation. Too many of us try and control a situation, but it is your breakthrough that takes place when you recover. And when you rest, when you recover, you're communicating to God that I don't need to do all the work. You can do the work. I cannot achieve everything for myself. You can do the work. You're trusting God that you don't have to do it all yourself. You're trusting God that he's able to do what you cannot do for yourself. Your breakthrough will come in your rest. I just want somebody to hear that today. Your breakthrough will come. Come on, just say that right now to the nearest person. Just say your breakthrough might come in your rest. Your breakthrough might be coming in your rest. It's not just in your doing. Your breakthrough might be coming in your rest. Somebody needs to hear that today because it's not just in your doing. It's not just, it's not just in your study at school that is going to make you a better student. It's also in your ability to learn how to rest. It's not just about spending all of your hours reading your books and, and studying and learning everything. Your breakthrough can also come when you are content in God. Your breakthrough can come when you are willing to rest and allow God to do what only he can do. Your breakthrough can come in your rest. And, um, and I, I, remember, I remember years ago learning this, that, that my, my breakthrough isn't necessarily tied to the things that I'm able to do, but it's tied to my ability to find rest. I, I remember learning that it's not about the things that I'm able to achieve, 
that it's also found in my ability to rest. It's about, it's about trusting God that he knows the best thing for you. It's about trusting God to make sure that he is, that he is willing to provide for you. And you don't have to do everything yourself. And, and I've been coming after the, the workers for a little bit. I've been coming after the people that are trying to control everything and the people that are trying to achieve their own salvation and the people that are trying to change their own outcome. And, and there is something good about living a godly life and there is something good about working for God. But what I wanna come after right now is the people that are content, right? Because it is godliness and contentment that leads to great gain. There are some people that work too hard and there are some people that rest too hard. Some people work too hard, and some people rest too hard. How many people know somebody who rests too hard? There are some people that rest too hard. These are, these are people that find their contentment in the way that things are, right? If you ever hear someone say something like, well, that's just the way that I am, these are people who have accepted an ungodly belief about themselves. Well, that's just the way that I am. Right? That's an ungodly belief. That's ungodly contentment about yourself. You believe that you, have, that you don't have the ability to get better. Well, I, I'm never going to worship like Jasmine. I'm never going to worship like Najee. I'm never going to worship like that, so I'm never going to be engaged in worship. Well, you've accepted an ungodly belief about yourself. I'm never going to learn how to pray like this person. I'm never going to be able to pray like that person. And so I just sit and I don't even bother engaging on Tuesday mornings when we gather together and we pray. And so we have accepted contentment and ungodly contentment in our life. Well, my family is just crazy. It's just the way that we is. We're just, we're crazy. I know that you think that your family is crazy, but my family is crazy. And that's just the way that we are. Why? Why does your family have to be crazy? Why have you accepted that your family is always going to be crazy? This is, content, this is what I'm talking about, is that you have contentment, an ungodly contentment about something that is not your portion. Well, I've been working in the same position for 15 years and I've never received a raise, but I'm just thankful that God gave me the job in the first place. That's good that you're thankful for it, but also it's okay to ask your boss for a raise as well. How many know that... When contentment is often taught about, contentment is often understood to be being satisfied with less. Christian contentment often tells us that we need to be satisfied with less. But I don't, I don't accept that definition. Contentment is not about being satisfied with less. I believe that a godly or a Christian contentment says that I cannot be satisfied with the things of this world, and so I'm holding out for the things that are not of this world, right? And so I don't have to accept the way that things are. I don't have to accept that there is injustice that's going on in our community. I don't have to accept that there is racism that's going on in our community. I don't have to accept that things are the way that they are, and they're always going to be that way. I don't have to accept that. I have a discontentment about those things. And it's okay for you to be discontent about the way that things are. It's okay for you to be discontent about the way that you are. It's okay for you to be discontent about the way that your household is. A holy discontentment. That's what I'm talking about. You don't have to settle. You don't have to accept that things are the way that they are and they're always gonna be the way that they are. You don't have to accept that. 
when you pursue godliness with contentment, the contentment of the things that God provides, not the way that things are, not the way that the enemy has created things to be, but when, the, when God is providing things for you, that is the type of contentment that I'm talking about, a godly contentment. And so, um, so Christian contentment often is taught like you shouldn't pursue more money. But, but I want more money. I don't know about you, but I want more money. And we don't really talk about this in church too much because people get weird about it. I don't want more money so that just I can have more money. I don't, I don't want more money because I love money. I don't want more money because I think that I can take my money with me when I die. I don't want more money for those reasons. I want more money because I think that I can do more good things if I have more money. Right, and so I'm not content with the amount of money that I, I want more money because I believe that I can make more kingdom impact. I want our church to have more money. I want you to have more money because if someone has to have the money, I would rather the good people have the money than the bad people have the money. And we act like we should be apologetic when we're looking for more money. I want you to have more money because I believe if we are a, a blessed financial community, then we're able to make more kingdom impact. I want, us to, I want us to have more money. It's okay for you to want more money. And we act like we shouldn't say that. We act like, we sh- like it's okay that I only make this much and I never want any more. I, I want my kids to be blessed. I want, I want better for my kids than I had for myself. It's okay for you to want that. Godly Christian contentment is not being satisfied, satisfied with less. It's about holding out for more than what this world is able to provide. And so I'm not, I'm not striving to make more money. I'm not stressed about it. I'm not, I'm not even trying to grow this church. I'm not stressed about it because I believe that God brings the increase. I'm going to work diligently. I'm going to work hard, but I'm not stressed about it. I know that God brings the increase, that there is nothing that I can do that's going to make me more money. God brings the increase. There's nothing that I can do. There's no message that I can preach. There's no thing that Meredith can do to grow this church. God brings the increase. God will bring the increase in your life. If you trust him, he will provide for you. God brings the increase. Nothing that you can do, nothing that you can say. God brings the increase. And so the question for today is, what are you pursuing? What great gains are you pursuing? We, we read this in, uh, in, in 1 Timothy. It is the end of chapter 6. This is later in the, in the scripture that I just read. This is what God requires of us. It says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. It says, they are to do good. This is what God is telling all of us to do. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Not to pursue a bigger body because you can't take your bigger body with you. Not to pursue more money because you can't take your money with you. Not to pursue earthly gains, but to pursue heavenly gains. Heavenly gains are these things, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That is what God requires of us, to do good. And, and, and when I read this scripture, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, don't pursue on earth the things that moths are going to destroy, but pursue the kingdom of God. That is what God requires of us, 
that we would not try and accumulate things for ourselves that we cannot take with us, but that we would leave a legacy that will, be, that will live beyond what we are able to live ourselves. That's what God requires of us. And, um, and as I close, I just, can, I, can all the guys stand up? All the fellas, can you stand right here? Come on, put your hands together for all the men at Cornerstone Church. I just want to look at you for a minute. I'm so proud of you. I honor you. I'm so encouraged by you. I think that you are so incredible. I love the fact that you show up. I love the fact that you are engaged. I love the fact that you are present. I love the fact that you are leading. I love the fact that you are honorable. honorable. I love the fact that you are godly. I love the fact that you are here, that your feet are planted that you are unwavering in your faith, that you are leading in your families, that you are leading in your neighborhoods, that you are leading, that you are not absent, that you are present. I honor you for that today. And I just wanna pray a blessing over you right here. We got men's conference coming up in just a few short days. We have a rally just after service over in the Performing Arts Center where we just wanna encourage all the volunteers. But, but before we leave this place, I just wanna pray over you. that God would meet you right where you are. God, I thank you for those that are standing here today. I thank you for those that are under the sound of my voice that are present, that are engaged, that are active. God, I pray strength to them. I pray your protection over them, your covering before them, your provision to them, God, that they need not be filled with fear, but that we can be filled with joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, that that fear is not our portion, that anxiety is not our portion, but that strength is our portion, and self-control is our portion. And God, I'm thankful for the blessing of the men in this house. I'm thankful that where men are, that communities get better. God, I'm thankful for godly men that are here today. I'm thankful that they are present and accounted for. God, I'm thankful that you are able to do something with each person that is here today. I ask that you would bless them, that you would pour your spirit out, that you would pour your spirit out upon the men of this church, God, that you would guide them, that you would direct them, that you would be made real to them, that that a relationship with you would be deep and would be profound that men would be better because of the community that they find themselves in here, God. That we would learn how to love well, that we would love our spouse well, that we would love our children well, that we would love our friends well, that we would love our employers well, that we would love our community well, God. God, we're thankful for the example of Jesus, the perfect man. No perfect man existed except you, Jesus, but I'm thankful that we have an example in you. I'm thankful that we can find our solutions in you, Jesus, that we can find our hope in you, that we can find our healing in you today, God. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in the men. Bless them, God. Bless them, God. Bless them in their coming. Bless them in their going, God. Beyond what they can ask or imagine, bless them, God. I thank you, God. 
that we are a blessed men, that we are a blessed community. God, I thank you for what you are doing in this house. And everybody here at Cornerstone Church put their hands together and thanks God for what he is doing in this place to the glory of God. Amen. And come on, everybody stand on your feet one time here at Cornerstone. How many are thankful for what God has done here in this place? How many are thankful for, what, for the fact that God sees you, for the fact that God knows you, that he has not forgotten about you, but that he loves you and he is pleased with you?